Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious item. If you'll take a look over here, I've uh, taken the liberty of putting this out on the counter. We've got a nice velvet mat down to protect this. This is a very valuable piece. If you look at it, uh, yes, go ahead, pick it up, feel it, take a look at it, but be careful. Uh, set it back down with ease. It may look like an ordinary crystal, a slight blue hue to it if you hold it up to the light. This is a crystal not found very easily, at least not in our plane of existence, but yet it is quite valuable. Quite valuable to the right dealer, quite valuable to the right person, and valuable enough to fund a rebellion. And therein lies the heart of our episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Disney Plus series, Andor. So there's a lot of diverse opinions on what Disney has been doing with Marvel and Lucas films. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, some people like me uh, are in the middle. I love a lot of it. There's things that they do that I'm not really big on. And Andor and the Lucas films aspect of Disney Plus has kind of been one of those properties that has been very divisive among fans. For the most part, what they've done with the Mandalorian. I think the Mandalorian's been great. The Book of Boba Fett, I enjoyed it. Uh, did it play out the way I thought it might or I expected it to? No, it did not. There was a lot of a lot of backstory and a lot of character development with that. And a lot of people don't have the patience for that. Kenobi was another one where I, I think it was just a lot of you had to have a lot of patience with that for the story to play out. Now it had some some drawbacks, some characters I didn't like and some plot points that I thought were a bit superfluous. And, and one of my biggest complaints of a lot of these series has been the fact that it seems like they're just too full of quirky celebrity cameos. You get some star that loved Star Wars growing up and they want to be in a Star Wars show and they do some zany character that just really feels out of place in the Star Wars universe and that just kind of takes me out of it. And sometimes some of these properties kind of lack the cinematic quality that you expect from from Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is a big deal. It's been a big deal since the, the late 70s when it first hit the screens. And a lot of the fans that, that go back that far uh, really have a lot of expectations. So when I saw Andor was coming along, I thought, okay, this is about a co-lead character of a one-off movie that... I didn't think I cared enough about the character to see the backstory of said character. But in watching the trailer for it, it really seemed interesting. It really seemed uh, action-packed. It seemed like there was a lot of political intrigue. This is all about the start of the rebellion. And judging by the trailer, this Andor series looked 
the most cinematic of all the Disney Plus Star Wars series. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And and I have to say, uh, for the most part, I like this. This is one of those things where Andor is, people either love it. I've heard people say it's the greatest thing they that Star Wars has done since the original trilogy. I've heard people go so far as to say this is the greatest Star Wars entry since Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and I, Well, I don't know about that. But, you know, people either love this or they found it boring and didn't like it. And that's where I kind of fall right in the middle of all that. I did like this. This had the cinematic feel that I was hoping for when I saw the original trailer for this. It had a lot of great things going on for it that we'll talk about as as we get into the story and we get into the characters. Uh, so it had a lot of things going for it. It just, I mean, it, it was kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, uh, you really had to have a lot of patience with this and have to be invested enough in the Star Wars universe and invested enough in characters you don't necessarily care about in seeing where this all goes and how this is all going to uh, play out. You had to be invested enough in the Star Wars universe to, to really give a shit about what is going on in this story because it it had some action-packed moments but to me it never really felt like it it gave you the capital the caring capital uh, there wasn't enough of capital invested in people that i i cared about whether they lived or died uh, or whether i cared about where their story is going uh, so this had a lot of good things going for it, but it did have some bad things going for it. So we're going to kind of discuss those those different points, and we're going to talk about the story, and we're going to talk about the character. I'm going to try not to be too spoilery, but I can't guarantee you a damn thing when it comes to that. So uh, if you haven't watched Andor, it's probably best if you go watch it before you listen to this podcast. Go watch it. It's what, eight episodes Come back and then hear my thoughts on it and see if they jibe with what you're feeling. If maybe you're on the fence and you're like, I'm not going to watch it until I know a little something about that, then maybe maybe you'll want to stay tuned and, and listen. And then maybe I will convince you one way or the other. Uh, that's not my purpose to convince you to watch it or not watch it. Uh, I just want to lay it all out there as to what you're going to see and what you've seen and what to expect from this. So uh, we're going to proceed from there. So the most part of this, it's based on the uh, the character Cassian Andor, who we saw in Rogue One. And, you know, it was a character, I, I like Diego Luna. I'm not terribly familiar with his work other than like Rogue One. He's been in some things I've heard of. Uh, when I found out he was going to be in Rogue One, I was like, oh, I, I know who he is. I just never really watched much with him in it. And the Cassian Andor character, like I said in the beginning, it wasn't a character I thought I needed to see the backstory of. Uh, when I saw Rogue One, I loved Rogue One. I thought it was a great entry, a great standalone, or at least I thought standalone entry into the Star Wars universe. Uh, I quite enjoyed that. But I, I didn't care about the Cassian Andor character uh, that much to, to think I wanted a prequel to him. And and this story really is, it is a prequel to the Cassian Andor character, but even in a bigger sense, this is a prequel to the Rebellion, the start of the Rebellion, and the part Cassian Andor plays in that. 
So when we first meet Cassie and Andor, he's looking for his sister, a storyline that kind of dies out a few episodes in, and I have to imagine it is a storyline that is going to pick back up because uh, he was on this planet, him and a bunch of kids, it was very reminiscent of like a Lord of the Flies scenario, only instead of... Uh, the two factions, they're all together. Kind of Lord of the Flies meets those uh, crazy uh, wild kids from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. They're going to scavenge a a wrecked Star Destroyer. And Cassie and Andor ends up with the Marva character and the Clem character. And they, they kind of raised him to be the resourceful, level scoundrel that he is. We find Cassie and Andor on this planet looking for his sister, and he accidentally, well, not accidentally, but he's being hassled by these two guards and ends up killing them and becomes wanted. And he's being hunted by a character, Cyril Karn, played by Kyle Soler, who I, I think he did a really good job with this character. My problem is this character just really kind of seemed superfluous. He's tracking Andor, trying to find him uh, because he murdered these two guards on his watch. And he's in and out of the Empire. He's kind of like middle management trying to to go above and beyond to get the recognition and work his way up in the ranks of the Empire. But we never really see that go anywhere in this season. I don't know if there are plans for this character to be around in a bigger way in the second season. But yeah, like I said, the storyline with this character really, it didn't really need to play out throughout the remainder of this season. Because this character, while the actors plays the character quite well, it's an interesting look into the everyday life of somebody in the Empire. But I just don't think it's necessary. There are scenes with him and his mother that just feel too like uh, it feels too like modern day here on earth a relationship between a, an overbearing mother and an underachieving son uh, that scene where he's eating his space pops uh, his, you know star wars version of cereal uh, just it felt too too much like this could have been in any modern day drama or dramedy or, or what have you and it just it really felt unnecessary to me this character felt unnecessary the storyline with this character for the most part felt unnecessary i get it at the beginning it was you know all the part of the hunt for andor but once the character became obsolete as far as that goes uh, the character could have disappeared and wouldn't have made any difference to me how the rest of the story played out you have andor uh, kind of on the run coming back to his hometown uh, hanging out with all his old friends and and his mother there's the uh Adria Rona character, Bix Kaleen. She's a mechanic and a black market dealer, and she hooks Andor up with the Luthen character, which we're, we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But Adria Arona, I, I thought she did a really good job with this Bix character because it, there's a lot going on. There's a, a former relationship with Andor that we see. Uh, there's a relationship with her current partner that kind of turns contentious when he uh, rats out Andor later in the series she's taken in by the empire and interrogated and just seeing the effects of the interrogation on her is is quite jarring and it's interesting where this character is going to go because this character's mind has been rattled figuratively and most literally and when we find her at the end escaping with 
with this group of, of characters. It, it's really, wow, Where? how is she going to come back from this? Uh, this trauma that's affected her. So uh, that's going to be kind of interesting to see. Adria Rona, if you don't recognize the name, I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, she was in Six Underground. Uh, Morbius most recently. She played the uh, Martine Bancroft character. Uh, I mean, she's been in Good Omens. Uh, that series Monsterland that I've been slowly making my way through. Uh, she's a fantastic actress, and I thought she played this part really well. There's Marva Andor. She is Cassian's adoptive mother, uh, played by Fiona Shaw. And again, another quality character actress, probably most notably known for the uh, Petunia Dursley character from the Harry Potter films. But there again, she's just been in so many different things over the years, going back to like the Super Mario Brothers movie in 93. She's, she was in the Avengers remake, uh, not the Marvel Avengers. I'm talking about uh, Emma Peel type Avengers. She had a reoccurring role in True Blood, and she really played uh, this character quite well because the Marva character is, you know, she's she's sick and she's not doing well. And Cassian, uh, the relationship between these two, you know, he's he's on the run, he's always off doing something, always off looking for his sister. He's not home taking care of her, but there's a love and there's a connection there. When when she kind of took him from that planet uh, all those years ago. And he, he does feel this need to look out for her, but he just doesn't do a good job of that. And and she's not doing well. She's sick. The character doesn't have a lot to do in the story other than just be there to worry about Andor. But the character is so pivotal in the creation of the rebellion, the starts. You know, she's the spark that starts the fire of the rebellion, really. And when you have that funeral scene, because they, they don't even give the character, the character just dies of natural causes. So we don't even get an on-screen death. But that funeral scene is just so powerful uh, because the, the little droid, it's the cute, adorable droid we're going to get all the toys of this time of year. Uh, it portrays a hologram image of her giving this speech about fighting and fighting the empire and it's such a a rah-rah kind of brave heart they may take our lives but they'll never take our our freedom type of speech that it's just like i said it's it's so pivotal in the start of the the rebellion that this character while the character didn't have much to do on screen it's such an important character to this series, or at least to this season, and and to the rebellion fighting the Empire moving forward. Now, one of the things I really like about this series and about this season is that you really get a sense of what makes the Empire the Empire. I mean, for the longest time, you know, when Star Wars first came out in 77, and we have these these rebels fighting this evil Empire, and the only thing we know about the Empire is that they're evil, that Darth Vader's a bad guy and that they all look like fascist Nazis. So yeah, of course, they're they're the bad guys. They're the evil ones. I mean, it, you don't really know why. You see they look evil and you're told they're evil, but you really don't understand. And then in the prequels, we kind of get an understanding of, of how the Emperor took control and, and started the Empire. Then, you know, same with, with Clone Wars. We get a little sense of that. Star Wars Rebels, we get, uh, you know, a sense of that. But, but we never really get a chance to see 
what life is like for the everyday citizens and why, other than just being told that these people are evil or all the political wranglings that make them bad guys, uh, we never see what the Empire does to subjugate the regular people on an everyday level that that makes them so bad. And that's one of the things I really liked about this because you get that. And I think that's one of the things they did really well. Uh, that's one of the things that I can forgive a bit of the slowness. I can forgive a little bit of the dullness because you really get a good sense of what makes the Empire the Empire on an everyday common man level. And that's one of the things I think is probably one of the strongest points and the strongest plots of this series. And Denise Goff plays the Dedra Mero character. She is a supervisor in the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau. And she's another one of these, not like a middle manager, but she is... You know, she's somebody trying to prove herself, trying to make her way up the ranks in the Empire. And in some aspects, you're almost rooting for her because they they don't come out and say it. And that's one of the things I loved about this because it was so subtle with the social commentary it was trying to make. It didn't just come out there and say, oh, you're just a girl or down with the patriarchy or any of that. Uh, it was very subtle in the conversation. The dialogue was was qu done quite well in implying that, you know, when, when she has a conversation with uh, Anton Lesser, who I've been seeing a ton, you know, I've seen him in this, uh, you know, he's done a lot of things. Of course, you know him as Grandmaster Kyburn from Game of Thrones, but uh, he's been in so many things lately. This, uh, I just, I've been watching that series, 1899, he's in that as well, but he plays Major Protagus. He's an Imperial officer and kind of the head of the ISB, but there's a conversation between the two and he's talking about how he's, he's pulling for her and that he understands that she's in a, a man's world trying to advance herself in that world. And he, he understands that and he, he empathizes with that. Uh, he understands that, you know, uh, she's got the deck stacked against her, so to speak, because she's a woman trying to advance in the imperial hierarchy. And, and because of that, you almost root for her to a degree, you know, when uh, there's a lot of political maneuvering and backstabbing and and all these imperial officers trying to get ahead of the other and all this kind of not quite infighting but people jockeying for position trying to be the one trying to show the empire that they're the ones that are worthy of advancement and all those interminglings those political interminglings amidst the isb uh, you're almost rooting for her in this but then you have scenes where she goes to Ferrix and she's interrogating Bix and just how cold and ruthless this character Dedra Mero is and so fantastically played by Denise Goff. I mean, she really showed uh, some, some great menace when it was necessary. Like I said, you almost root for her at times when she's dealing with things inside the, the Imperial Security Bureau. Uh, you almost root for her and you're almost cheering for her when she's trying to get ahead of her of her subordinates and when she's trying to get ahead of her equals, when she's trying to show her superiors that, that she knows what's going on and she knows how to handle it. You're rooting for her and she 
gives you that sense of empathy because she is a woman in a man's world and she's not supposed to be advancing like she is and and you want you want to root for that so it's such a very complex character and denise goff plays it so well that's one of the problems i had with the the obi-wan kenobi series the reva character uh, there was just no menace to that character it was just moses ingram yelling and it's not, like i said not that she's a bad actress i got to put that on her to a degree but i also have to put it on the director for not drawing out a more menacing uh, aspect of this character from this actress and where they failed in kenobi and that i think they uh, did it perfectly they had this female character that felt very menacing she felt very cold at times she felt like somebody you could root for at other times it was like i said a very complex character very multifaceted character that uh, denise goff just played brilliantly and you know speaking of brilliance <laughs> genevieve o'reilly plays the younger version of mon mothma and when they they brought her out in revenge of the sith as the younger version of mon mothma i mean it was in a deleted scene but uh i i thought wow does this woman look exactly like a younger version of uh, Caroline Blackston, who was the original Mon Mothma in uh, Return of the Jedi. But uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, she was brought back as Mon Mothma in Rogue One, and then, of course, reprised the role in Star Wars Rebels, voicing the Mon Mothma character in that. But really, such a good actress. She's been in all sorts of things. Walking Dead, one of the most notable genre things that she's been in, along with the Star Wars stuff. But uh, she reprises her role as mom mothma in this and this was probably to me where i, I kind of felt bored with the andor storyline uh, the mon mothma storyline really kind of intrigued me because this you got a better sense of the inner workings of this character that we don't really know much about i mean in star wars we just see her really in that one scene where they're planning the attack on the death star you really get a, a tiny bit of sense of who she is in her role in Rogue One, uh, a little more in, in Star Wars Rebels, but we really don't know much about this character and her part in the creation of the Rebellion. And we get to see that here, how she's an Imperial Senator and she's, you know, she's one of the good guys. She's being just enough a pain in the ass to the Empire to try and get them to do the right thing, try and help people, trying to help systems that are... are are suffering at the hand of the empire but secretly she is helping fund the rebel cause and we get to see her the inner workings of that and how uh, you know she's she's about to be caught and and trying to uh, manipulate things and manipulate people and this was a lot of political intrigue that was actually kind of interesting alistair mckenzie plays her husband perrin who uh, i mean he's done uh, a ton of things especially in british television uh fantastic actor and he's one of these uh guys where he's just kind of living the, the playboy lifestyle i suppose uh, doesn't seem to uh, really have much to do other than to throw parties but there's a uh, a tension between him and mon mothma uh, that you know she knows that if he found out what she was doing he would turn her in because theirs was a marriage of convenience not a, a marriage you know arranged marriage uh, not a marriage of love and so you know her trying to work the system trying to work around her husband and 
that scene at the end where, you know, she's been discovered that there's money missing from her account and the Empire's investigating it. And the driver of their vehicle, uh, she knows, is a, an Empire spy sent to, to watch her. And she kind of sets it up to where, you know, she's saying, uh, essentially accusing her husband of, of having a gambling problem. And he's like, I, I, I don't, I didn't gamble it. Oh, don't, don't lie to me. And it was, it was all a piece of, of brilliant political finagling, a little political intrigue. And, and to see where this is going to go is going to be interesting, uh, to see how the heat comes off her because she's kind of throwing her, her husband under the bus. That's going to be interesting to watch out for because uh i think that storyline in and of itself is very intriguing to me is how mon mothma went from a uh, an imperial senator to the one of the leaders of the rebellion and at some point she's going to be found out at some point she's going to have to go on the run at some point she's going to have to be be a leader in the rebellion as a face of the rebellion. So it'll be fun to watch that whole storyline play out. Then another actress that I really was, I was glad to see her show up. Faye Marseille. Uh, of course, you know her. She's a, a Game of Thrones alumna. She played the waif uh, from the whole Arya, Jack and Hagar storyline. She's also been in Black Mirror, a ton of other things, but she plays Vel Sartha, she is actually Mon Mothma's cousin, and she is working directly with the Ribble Alliance and with uh, another character that we haven't got to yet, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. But she is with Andor when they have that big money heist. Uh, one of the, the many different stories that we get uh, featuring Andor. But, uh, but she does a fantastic job. She's a, a fine actress, and I'm interested to see where this character is going to go because I, you know she looked like she was going to be a main player in this when, when she teams up with Andor with that group of people that, that steal all that money, all those Republic credits from the Empire, and then she kind of disappears. And then we get her sporadically throughout. But she, I think, is going to have a bigger role to play as we, we continue on in this story. And the person she's working most closely with is the character I saved for last when talking about the characters because he did a fantastic job. And there's so much speculation around this character. But Stellan Skarsgård, uh, I don't even need to talk about his list of uh, bona fides, but he plays Luthamrael. He comes across as this flamboyant antiquities dealer. He has this antique shop. He has an assistant that is there with him. And all it is is a cover for him being a part of the Rebel Alliance. And he is working with Mon Mothma, uh, trying to, to get money to fund the Alliance. Uh, he is working with Vel. He has her planning this heist to steal the Republic credits. He's the one that brings in Andor. And he does that, uh, you know, with kind of putting Andor between a rock and a hard place. Bix sets him up because Andor has this piece of Empire spaceship equipment for lack of a better term that he wants to sell so he can get off planet get out of ferrix and and go on the run and luthan kind of employs him to be a part of this heist then when he finds out that uh, andor doesn't really want to be a part of the rebellion because i think that really is what this is he's trying to recruit him uh, he knows the kind of man he is uh, he's trying to recruit him for the rebellion but then when he doesn't want to be a part of it 
Then he is put Vel and Vel's partner on it to to kill him. And that's where we find them at the very end of it, where uh, I think Luthen realizes that Andor is ready to join the rebellion. But but I like this character because, one, it's so fascinating in his antique shot to see all the, the different relics. I think there's a headdress that maybe Padme wore in one of the prequels. Clopoon, uh, Jedi from Clone Wars. There's his uh, face mask that he wore. There's other masks and various Easter eggs to various Star Wars productions like the the prequels and Clone Wars and Rebels. You get a lot of callbacks, uh, little Easter eggs in these relics to all these different movies. Uh, One scene in the back room, you see a Jedi and a Sith holocron. A lot of interesting things. You could sit there and break it down and tear it apart. But, But the one thing that is really interesting about this character is that he gives... Andor a crystal that he wears around his neck. It's a kyber crystal, and he gives it to him as kind of collateral. Uh, he tells him to take this, but he as as down payment, as a collateral payment for the money he owes him for doing this job and this this bank heist. But he wants it back because it's you know he could sell it for a lot of Republic credits, but it's more valuable to to Luthen to the Stellan Skarsgård character. And kyber crystals, most notably, are the crystals that power lightsabers. And there's just a lot of speculation going on as to who this Luthen character is. Is he a former Jedi? I think there's a, a lot that point to the fact that he may be. Um, there's this one scene where he's talking with one of his Imperial spies, one of the people that works closely with the uh, dead Ramiro character in the ISB. The character asks him what he's sacrificed and he goes through this laundry list and he's talking about uh, having to use his enemy's tactics to, to fight them and that uh, this has set him down a, a different path and, and just everything he says almost feels like he's talking less about the physicality of dealing with the empire and fighting the empire and it feels more like he's talking about the inner workings of him going from the light side of the force having to travel down the dark path to to know his enemy's tactics to fight them and and it's it'll be interesting to see how this plays out he has this extendable cane that he he carries with him it almost looks like a lightsaber hilt so i almost wonder if at some point he's going to put that kyber crystal in that thing and pop a lightsaber and go to town on somebody maybe maybe he's distanced himself from the force there's a lot of examples in star wars canon of former jedis cutting themselves off from the force to keep the the sith from feeling them to keep the sith from sensing them luke skywalker did it in the latest sequel trilogy so it'll be interesting to see where this character goes this probably other than mom mothma was the most interesting character of this series because just all the things that Stellan Skarsgård got to do, uh, all the political intrigue, that sweet scene where he's flying his his little spaceship, which I loved it because it has like a cockpit very much like the Millennium Falcon. Uh, that scene where he's going up against that Star Destroyer with the big satellites, uh, the big tractor beams. And he has protocol in place to to outmaneuver that. He sends those particles into the, the satellite and destroy that. 
uh, just fantastic. The beams coming out of him like lightsabers itself and cutting through those TIE fighters. That was some action-packed stuff. That was some interesting stuff that, that I quite enjoyed. And, and I really did like this character because he really felt like a character that uh, you know he's on the right side, but you know he is going to do anything to have the rebellion win. He is going to sacrifice anyone. Of course, there's that scene with Forrest Whitaker, who reprises his role as uh, Saw Gerrera, who he does, a, he does a great job with the the kind of borderline insanity of that character. Uh, but, you know, he's he's telling him he's going to sacrifice this uh, Krieger character uh, to so the, the Empire won't know that they're onto them. And he's willing to sacrifice good people to make sure the the rebellion stays intact and make sure the rebellion lasts. Uh, he's just, you know, he's very, not a morally compromised character, but he's definitely a very a multifaceted character and a character who's, uh, you know, he, he blurs the lines of morality. You know, he's he's willing to do horrible things for the greater good to come out on top in the end. Uh, so that's why I love this character. I'm so glad the character lasts. I was afraid it was going to be something where they kill him off. And then, you know, we don't have, that's just one less big star to pay when it comes to season two. But uh, I'm really interested to see who this character really is and, and where this character goes from here. But that ultimately, like I, I kind of alluded to earlier, is that uh, we really get multiple stories out of this for Cassie and Andor. Uh, we get the story starting out where he's on this other planet searching for his sister. That kind of peters out. And then he's there's like a, a two or three episode arc where he's back on Ferrix and he's dodging the Empire. And then he meets Luthen and then there's a three episode arc where he's doing the bank heist and he gets done with the bank heist and there's a little brief uh, stop over at Ferrix and then he's off on vacation. And one of the things that kind of was interesting and kind of played into the whole what's so shitty about the Empire is that he's just walking along and he gets... He gets taken in and this sort of kangaroo court situation where he's he's booked and sent to prison for doing nothing but walking. And therein lies the essence of what makes the Empire so horrible. Uh, so that was kind of cool. We get a throwback to the uh, the robots, the security robots. Of course, he has a reprogrammed one, K2SO in Rogue One. Uh, I imagine we're probably going to see that play out in one of the upcoming seasons. But then he goes to prison and he's in this prison for a little while and has a, a, a run-in with the Andy Serkis character, Kino Loy, which Andy Serkis, I, I didn't really include him because he doesn't have a, a huge overarching story, but, but he just, man... He is such a fantastic actor. You know, he spent so many years uh, doing the motion capture stuff and the things with Gollum where he really had to overexpress that he is so good at making facial expressions uh, when he does live action stuff that he's just uh, fantastic. It was really interesting to see this character almost start his own rebellion inside this prison uh, when they find out that none of them are ever getting out and Andor kind of inspires him to to lead a rebellion of sorts there 
And the fact that we don't know what his fate was, was, was kind of, uh, you know, you want to know, did he, did he make it? Did he not? But I kind of like how they left it open-ended. I can see a scenario where we might see him show up again. It would be fine if they didn't, but I could see a scenario where we might see him show up in next season or, or, or future season. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. But one of the more interesting things was the, the pieces of machinery, the components that they were making in this prison. I kind of figured it was going to be something for the Death Star. And yeah, they did in the post credit scene, they did confirm that it is a part of the big, uh, what is that, like a satellite array that, that shoots out the beam uh, from the Death Star to... It puts the death in Death Star, we'll, we'll just say. But uh, but Andy's circus was interesting. Uh, and that was, uh, while it, it it bordered on being kind of boring, uh, seeing these guys in prison just kind of doing their daily thing for, for like a couple episodes, it, it was interesting. Andy's circus made that whole story arc interesting. Then, of course, after Andor gets out of prison, then he's going back to Ferrix for his mother's funeral when Marva passes away off screen and that that whole big to do with the empire really essentially using this funeral as a trap because as as things have gone on and or keeps more and more getting caught up in rebel stuff and becoming more and more on the empire's radar to the point where the isb are after him now as possibly being a link to the rebellion and having information on uh, Luthen, who they call Axis, uh, because they don't know his real name, but they know he is a leader in the rebellion, and they know Andor has ties to him. But you have that great scene with the Marva hologram kind of rallying the troops, and then that big fight between the Empire and the the people of Ferrix. And it all ends with a lot of your principal characters, Bix, Luthen, Marva's droid. <laughs> They're all on this ship getting ready to get out of there. Uh, Andor shows up and, and there he's faced with Luthen who allegedly wants to kill him. And it's kind of a, a showdown of sorts where Andor really kind of proves that he's willing to do anything. He's willing to, to die. And I think Luthen sees uh, that potential in him again as far as a, a member of the Rebel Alliance. And that's where this this ends off and I think that's where we're going to see things pick up in Season 2. I think we're going to see Cassie and Andor really uh, taking Marva's speech to heart and becoming a part of the Rebel Alliance. Uh, we're going to see, I think, more into who this Luthan character is. I think we're going to find the uh, Deidre Mero character, her rise in the Empire, but, you know, it's not a character we see in the Star Wars trilogy, so maybe something, you know, maybe not next season, maybe not the season after that, however many seasons they plan on this, but maybe she she has a downfall somewhere because of a, another upstart Imperial. I, I don't know. I just, it'd be interesting to see where this goes. And that's, I think, where I was just kind of bored with those first few episodes. And even through the other two-thirds, three-quarters of the season, uh, I wasn't terribly excited. There were some interesting things, and I did keep watching. And, and not just because it's Star Wars and just because it's Star Wars, so I've got to like it. I, I kept watching because there were some interesting characters. Like I said, the Mon Mothma character was interesting. The Luthen Rael character was interesting. The 
the the Andor character, I want to be more interested in the character than I actually am. I like Diego Luna. I think he's a good actor. I just don't think the character is very dynamic or charismatic. So really his natural charisma that he has. Because if you ever see him in any interviews, the, the guy's a charismatic guy. He's a very likable guy. Uh, but that just doesn't get to show through in this character because this character is very, very dour and very uh, the reluctant hero. It's, it's very Han Solo in a way, but not charismatic. You know, the Han Solo character was the Han Solo character because Harrison Ford's natural charisma got to shine through this character. And Diego Luna's natural charisma doesn't really get to take center stage because this character is so uh, just almost kind of a melancholy to him. You know, he's he's his sister's gone. He's not been a good son to his mother. He's on the run. He's just, you know, very downtrodden, uh, you know, downtrodden in spirit. And that really doesn't make for a very interesting character, a character that you care about. You just, you know, he doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's feeling sorry for himself, but he just is kind of laid back and, and, and reserved and just doesn't pop on the screen. Uh, as far as characters go. So I'm, I'm hoping to see uh, the character develop. Uh, and, and he really wasn't even that way in Rogue One. So I, I don't know if we can expect more of a dynamic character, but I really would like to see Diego Luna, who, who plays the character quite well. I would just like to see a little more of his natural charisma uh, make this character a little more likable, a little more... A little more like I care about whether he makes it to Rogue One or not. I mean, we know he makes it to Rogue One, but how he gets there, I, I want to care about that. And and the writing hasn't made me care about this character yet. Uh, I'm hoping that will change in the seasons to come. But I, I really have to tip my hat to the creator of this series, Tony Gilroy. From what I understand, from what I've seen in all the press, not a Star Wars fan, but he is a filmmaker who's worked a lot in things like The Bourne Legacy. He did Michael Clayton. Uh, he, he's done a lot of stuff with a lot of political intrigue and espionage and those sorts of movies and that really kind of fit for this i heard somebody uh, compare this to like uh, a cross between star wars meets the wire and i have to agree that really is kind of what this season feels like but but i really enjoyed the fact that there was a lot of consistency through this series. It, it felt like a coherent story because Tony Gilroy wrote a, a lot of the episodes. The episodes he didn't write, uh, his brother Dan Gilroy wrote. There was only like maybe one, two, three, four episodes of the 12 that one of the Gilroys didn't write. So <laughs> there was a lot of cohesion to this and, and it really did feel like whether, whether the story was action-packed and blaster fights and lightsaber and Jedi Force users. Uh, no, it didn't have all of that, but what it did have, uh, it did very well. I enjoyed this for what it was because this was a peek into the everyday life of the Star Wars universe. You got to see characters 
in their everyday work environment, in their everyday life. And you get to see what it's like. And you get to see how the empire affected that. You get to see the real tyranny of the empire, the fascism of the empire. And you get to see all of that and how it affected regular people. So that, I think, was a triumph. Uh, I Do I wish it would have been a little more action-packed? Uh, certainly. Um, that's that's my only drawback, is that I wish there was a little more action in this. Uh, you didn't have to have a bunch of Jedis running around with lightsabers, because that wasn't available in this part of the story. But I think you get an interesting story with the Luthan character and being a potential former Jedi or a former Force user of some sort. I think there's some intrigue there. Do I wish there may have been a little more action? You know, there wasn't a lot of spaceships flying around blasting each other. There was uh, very minimal uh, use of blasters as far as uh, firefights go. I think it could have used a, just a little more of that just to to pick up the action in some areas where things went kind of slow and it was maybe a little too much of normal everyday life in the Star Wars universe. But ultimately, this season is a, a setup for the seasons to come. Cassian Andor is going to be a part of the Rebellion and we've got... I, I'm. I can't remember if I heard correctly. They're at least planning a few seasons, four or five seasons, something like that, as we see Cassian Andor make his way to the events of Rogue One. And where maybe this season wasn't as action-packed because it was a lot of setup of characters, maybe season two will be a little more action-packed and we'll get that nice balance of what made Andor good and what Andor could have been. And as far as the look of this, uh, my God, they did such a great job with this. And from what I understand i was uh listening to an interview with denise goff and she was talking about how you know star wars she thought she was going to be going in a lot of green screens uh the thing they use for um the mandalorian uh the big kind of wraparound screen that they can project backdrops and towns and things like that onto it and actors can act you know, almost in an almost 360 environment where it looks like this, but they didn't do any of that. They did a lot of practical sets and, and Denise Goff kind of marveled at the fact that, you know, her first day of filming, uh, because they filmed a lot of this out of order. I think they did all the Ferrix stuff. I think that was the first stuff they filmed and they filmed that all together, even though the Ferrix stuff kind of stretches throughout the the arc of the 12 episodes. But uh, they built that town, or, or at least the town was there, and they just kind of accentuated with Star Wars-looking things. I think that's what made it so cinematic, is the fact that they used practical sets and practical uh, towns, you know, towns that that you could walk into the buildings and things like that. That That's what makes Star Wars so great. Uh, and that's, I think, what George Lucas got away from in the prequel trilogy. He went more with green screens and things like that. I know they set the record for miniatures, but as far as sets and things like that, it was a lot of green screen stuff, which uh, just kind of took away from the vibe, the Star Wars feel, because so much of the original trilogy was practical sets places you go in and walk in here and go in there and go down this alley and things like that so i think that's one of the the things that andor really made it 
stand apart from the other Disney Plus Star Wars series and kind of gave it that cinematic quality. And of course the costumes and and everything was fantastic. The only the only thing I didn't like is when Andor goes to that planet and he meets up with Vel and her group and they're going to go, you know, rob that imperial money depositor or whatever it's called and their guns looked like AK-47s. Now, I know like Han Solo's pistol is an old German pistol that they doctored up, but you know, the way they doctored it up and the way they made it look different, you would, you know, you didn't, you know, oh, that looks like a whatever pistol, uh, if you know anything about World War II and the armaments, but just to look at it, it looked like a space pistol. This, they didn't really do anything to make it look different. Then it just looked like a, a an AK forty seven, and I was like, ah, you couldn't you couldn't have done something to it. I, I know they're gorillas, and you know the weapon of choice for guerrilla warfare is the AK forty seven, but I, I just you, you couldn't have made it look a little bit more like a space gun. I, I don't know. I, that was my only drawback from the props department and the look of the whole thing. But all in all, I I did like. Andor. Uh, I was kind of on the fence when I first finished. When after I got finished with episode 12, I was kind of on the fence of it. I wasn't sure if I liked it, but the more I sat with it and the more I thought about it and more I thought about and processed what I had just seen. Like I said, I did enjoy it. Was it the greatest thing Star Wars has done since the original trilogy or since Empire Strikes Back? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it it was pretty good. Is it the worst thing I've ever seen because it was completely boring? Uh, I can't say that because there was a lot of interesting things in this. There was a lot of things I liked. I'm kind of in the middle. Is it the greatest thing since Empire Strikes Back? I don't know, but it was pretty good. As far as a representation of what Star Wars is and what the Star Wars universe is, I think it was pretty good. Was it boring and slow at times and a little dry at times? Yeah, it was. I think if they would have done what they did and just added a little bit more action to it, I think... It could have been considered one of the greatest things since Empire, or or at least since Rogue One, or at least the, I will say this, this is probably the best that Disney and and Lucasfilms has come out with as far as the Star Wars series. Well, no, I take that back. I, I do really like The Mandalorian. I think that's really good. So, you know, that... And or Mandalorian, I think, are some of the the better things that they've come out with on Disney+. Plus. But there's, you know, <laughs> there's Book of Boba Fett and Kenobi, which are, are very divisive. So I, I think, you know, I think Disney and Lucasfilms, I think they're on the right track. Uh, the one thing I did really like about this, there wasn't any crazy cameos from celebrities with zany Star Wars uh, alien you know, characters or, or zany comedy, you know, Jedi characters. Uh, I, I like that they, they had a lot of good character actors, a lot of good British character actors uh, making up this cast. And it felt like a serious story and not like a bunch of uh, serious story and then a bunch of comic relief characters. So that I really liked about this. And I'm looking forward to season two, which we should see sometime in 2024 unfortunately we gotta wait closer to two years as uh, it'll probably come out in the fall of 2024 i'm guessing but we should get another 12 episode season so really looking forward to that so there you have it those are my thoughts on Andor season one hopefully hopefully you enjoyed it uh like i said there's there's a lot to be bored and 
kind of yawn about with this, but there is a lot to be uh, interested about and excited about, especially excited for future seasons to come. And a lot of Easter eggs when it comes to the, the expanded Star Wars universe and a lot of really interesting imagery and beautiful imagery and a lot of good acting. The acting uh, really carried this. That's what made uh, characters that maybe weren't so exciting and were kind of boring or, or at least not very charismatic on the screen. The acting that we got to see on display with this show really made up for the uh, disinterest in some of the characters, we'll say. But hopefully you enjoy it. If you haven't checked it out, please check out Andor on Disney+. Plus. Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, I think you're going to enjoy it, or if you let yourself enjoy it. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts. Check out more on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop with their Facebook page. We're posting trailers and articles from all over the internet that I find. Uh, sharing those with you at my two cents. And please uh, check us out on Instagram as well. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, follow it, subscribe to it like it download the episodes and please leave a review five stars would be awesome uh but whatever review you leave will appreciate it and please share this podcast with anyone you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>